You're listening to a Calvary and Adults podcast, a ministry out of Calvary Baptist Church, Oshawa, Ontario, Canada. Calvary Young Adults is a midweek worship gathering of those in the Durham region who are between the ages of 18 and 30. We love the Lord, proclaim His Word, and celebrate His goodness. This podcast series is a release of the sermons from Thursday evenings. In today's episode, Matthew Jones looks at the person of Noah and asks the question, how can we survive in a pressure cooker culture? Let's listen now. Father, we thank you so much for this day that you have made, that we can rejoice and be glad in it, and that's what we are exhibiting here, great joy and gladness in you and worshiping you through, through prayer and through music and now through your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through your word. Thank you that we have this that we can hold on to and cherish and live by. Help us, God. So I pray now that all distractions would be removed that you would help us, including me, to just focus on you and experience you, God. Teach through me and help us all to listen. For your glory and for your namesake, amen. So we're moving right along in our series, Character Matters. We're looking at the real-life stories of, of certain people in the scriptures. Dan kicked us off a couple weeks ago as we looked at the life of Adam, and we learned about how do we respond to our sin, And then last week, Pastor Nick kept us moving right along as we looked at the life of Eve, and we learned about how to respond in times of pain and and loss. And tonight, we're going to be looking at Noah. We arrive at Noah, the kind of culture that he lived through and what it was that made him a survivor when everyone else in his generation was wiped off the face of the earth through God's flood judgment. The account of God's dealings with Noah teaches us about the depth of evil that can exist in the world and how the righteous can rise above it. So how do we survive a a culture that is pressing us to, to conform to its evil ways? I don't know about you, but with each passing day, I can't help but Think about and and cry out to the Lord, Lord, come quickly, like we need you to return. And as I think about the ongoing events that are happening around the world over the course of my lifetimes, not just now, but for the last 30, I'm 37, but 30, 30 years, the seemingly ramping up of a culture with no moral compass whatsoever There's a particular image that comes to to my mind, and that's the image of a a pressure cooker. So I want you to follow along with me on this for for a minute. A pressure cooker is a tool used to tenderize meat. Now, some of you young adults may may have grown up in homes where you wish that your mom had a pressure cooker every Thanksgiving because that turkey was just always tough and and dry, and you just had to grin and bear it and eat it because you love your mom. But a pressure cooker would have taken care of all of that. My wife and I have a pressure cooker, and we use it to tenderize a a, a specific kind of naturally tough meat, and that's goat. 
So a couple weeks ago, we were celebrating our fifth wedding anniversary, and my wife decided that she wanted to cook us uh, a Jamaican curry goat meal. Now, this is a, it's a Jamaican staple, so if I start to kick out the patois and you can't understand me, don't worry, I haven't lost my mind. You just need to speak Jamaican when you're cooking and, 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 and eating curry goat. Even my wife, she's, she's Caucasian, grew, out, grew up out in the country, but when she cooks curry goat, my wife starts to speak Jamaican, all right? She speaks the patois. But anyways, goat is a tough meat. It needs to be tenderized. It needs to be softened. And then you can just eat it and go at it. You see, under the right amount of pressure in the cooker, the goat meat is ready to fall right off of the bone. The meat succumbs to the pressure. It's changed by it. it it's now characterized by it. And I'm sensing... That's the kind of generation we're living in right now. We're living in a generation that is constantly going full throttle, just turning up the pressure and turning up the heat on its opponents, anyone not like the culture. Our culture is filled with pressures from all angles, pressures to try to tenderize the righteous people of God, pressures to try to soften real, genuine followers of Christ and conform us to the world, being changed by it, surrendering to its pressure. This has been a tactic of the, the enemy through the ages, pressure God's chosen people enough to conform to the world, turn their back on God, and ruin or try to ruin his witness. We see this tactic everywhere. Pressure through all sorts of agendas, political and otherwise. Pressure people through this cancel culture that has now become the norm. And keep that in mind. Everything that our, our culture is doing is completely normal to them. So these agendas being pushed, they think it's wise and good and right and everything is fine. Why? because they don't have the mind of Christ. So in a way, I sort of get it. I sort of understand why we are where we are. If I did not know God and I did not know his ways, yeah, sure, all of this stuff that the culture is pushing would sound fantastic. Paul talks about this very thing in his first letter to the Corinthians. In chapter two, there's this huge push to do what is right in their own eyes because they don't have the mind of Christ. And so we, Christians, we become collateral damage because it is only we, Christians, the very people with the mind of Christ that stand in the way of their success. And so in comes the pressure. Many times this reality of constant pressure can be so discouraging to those trying to follow Christ faithfully. So hear me on this, young adults. We hear you. We are with you. We love you. We are standing with you in this fight because we have to stand and hold off the pressure from the culture. We're with you. You also need to be encouraged. Jesus told us this was coming, so, so have hope and don't give in because in the end, no matter what happens, he wins. He's already won. When speaking of the, the last days, Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 24, verse 37, as in the days of Noah, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. Well, what were the days of Noah like? Please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. 
In Noah's day, the population had exploded since the time of creation. And with that explosion of the population came the explosion and depth of sin. And with that explosion and depth of sin came God's holy judgment. Genesis 6, starting at verse 1. Read along with me. It says, When mankind began to multiply on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of mankind were beautiful, and they took any they chose as wives for themselves. And the Lord said, My spirit will not remain with mankind forever because they are corrupt. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth both in those days and afterward when the sons of God came to the daughters of mankind who bore children to them. They were the powerful men of old, the famous men. When the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and he was deeply grieved. Grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created off the face of the earth together with the animals, creatures that crawl, and birds of the sky, for I regret that I made them. Look, we should never underestimate how much our sin hurts the heart of God. God created us with so much intellectual and spiritual capacity to be in relationship with him, to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to worship him and enjoy him and be satisfied in him. But our sin stunts that capacity. It hinders it. It grieves the heart of God. And the one true holy God cannot allow that to go on forever. So he did something about it. In the middle of God's observation and decree of judgment, we're introduced to the character of one individual completely unlike the others. His name is Noah. Look at verses 8 and 9 with me. It says there, Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God. So we really need to camp out here on Noah's walk with God because it's so easy for us sometimes to think that our culture is like no other culture and that no one has experienced what we are experiencing in our day and that no one felt the kind of pressures being put on our faith and trust in God like we are today. And that's simply not the case. From top down to bottom up in Noah's generation, there was nothing but evil and wickedness and corruption. And the inclination of everyone's heart was nothing but evil except for one man. There was one not like the others. Do you guys remember that Sesame Street song, that game? One of these things is not like the other. One of these things is not belong. That was Noah in his generation, and that should be us in our generation. And we actually have a huge advantage over Noah. We have numbers. You see, he was alone in his generation. But today, there are millions of faithful followers of Christ around the world. There's this beautiful remnant that God has alive today. And we're here to build each other up and encourage each other in the faith and stand strong together. So the question that I want to answer tonight is how. How do we survive a pressure cooker culture? 
We survive entirely through our walk with God. Noah walked with God. A person's walk has everything to do with the person's journey through life. Imagine, if you will, that your heart is a treasure map and your brain is the compass to get you to that treasure. And together, your heart and your brain, they chart out the direction. They chart out your focus and the steps that you're going to take. And each day you wake up in your heart and your brain, they work together to choose the path of the day to get you closer to your treasure. Some paths take you forward, others take you back. A person's walk affects their whole life from, from the inside out and relationships with others like family and friends and co-workers and, and, and peers at school. A person's walk affects how others view them. A person's walk can be bent towards anything and and for anything in this world, but for us who want to survive a pressure cooker culture like Noah did, our walk must be with God if there is going to be even the slightest chance of surviving. Walking with God means being in a constant state of close proximity to God. And there are four results of our walking in close proximity to God. The first, our proximity to God enables us to hear from God. Two, our proximity to God increases our faith in and obedience to God. Three, our proximity to God boosts our courage to preach the gospel of God. And four, our proximity to God aligns our desires to the heart of God. These are the core truths that we can learn from Noah's character. So let's dig into it. The first, our proximity to God enables us to hear from God. When it comes to our hearing in general, we're doing either one of two things. We're either hearing the culture and indoctrinating ourselves on what the culture says, even unwittingly sometimes, or we are hearing from God and indoctrinating ourselves on what God says, and this must be done intentionally. And I'll tell you this, a lot of what the culture says, again, it can sound fantastic, it can sound great, it can sound right and just. Let me give you a quick example of an area that hits close to home as it is currently the biggest issue in our day right now. The culture is pushing hard for social justice. Sounds great. Who doesn't want justice for all? Especially what Christian doesn't want justice? I have never met a person in my life that has said, I don't want justice. Never. Well, here's the problem with social justice. We put an adjective in front of the word. The word social never, ever, ever needs to be in front of the word justice because as soon as you put an adjective in front of the word justice, you've just redefined it from how God defines justice in his word. And we see this kind of negative effect is is playing out right in front of our eyes on a number of different issues. Social justice and, and, and equity, which is not the same as equality, by the way. Those two are not the same. And we have millions of people sitting in these cultural pressure cooker 
echo chambers just polarizing people and, and causing great harm to people and ruining the livelihoods of people and causing people to be canceled. And none of that is how God's justice works. God's justice is impartial to the rich and the poor, black and white, healthy and unhealthy. Name the group demographic. God's justice is completely impartial. That's what makes it perfect and essential to understand. The only legitimate echo chamber we should sit in is the echo chamber of God's word. Let the truth, not their truth or his truth or her truth or they truth, let the truth, God's truth, circle around in your heart and your mind over and over again as you meditate on it both day and night. Church, we need to get better at scrutinizing Everything that we, we read and see and hear, scrutinize it all through a biblical worldview. Our hearing from God and our proper understanding of God's ways and his will is directly linked to our proximity to God. We see this with Noah. Noah was in such close proximity to God that God was able to, to call his friend over and say, hey, Noah, buddy, listen, I've got something i got to share with you. And God just starts whispering to Noah's heart in Genesis 6, 13. Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. I'm not going to strive with them forever. They only do what is right in their own eyes. They're not listening to me. They don't want to even hear from me. And Noah is proof that in the midst of a pressure cooker culture, as loud as it gets, and it is getting louder by the day, we can still hear God whisper directly to our hearts and lead us in the way of righteousness. Noah was in a position that placed him in earshot of God, and it ultimately saved his life and the life of his family. God called out to his faithful one, let him in on the secret, and gave him this incredible warning that saved his life. How many times has God wanted to warn us of an upcoming situation that if by knowing beforehand, we would have saved ourselves much heartache and pain and trial and trouble. But instead, we're allowing the voice of the culture to drown out the voice of God. More than that, sometimes we, we, we get on our own social media and we perpetuate the voice of the culture, sharing a bunch of noise because we didn't take the time to stop. Listen now for God's voice breaking through the noise and, and lead us in the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth. I bet you Noah was a person that slowed down enough every day to make sure the orientation of his heart and mind were on point so that he could hear the voice of God. Seriously, think about this. Follow this. How was it possible for Noah with everything going on around him? Like, listen, if the Bible says that God looked down on earth and saw all the human wickedness, 
saw all the evil, saw that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. How did this not affect Noah? He did not live in a bubble. He was in the midst of that culture as described in the Bible. So every morning he would come out of his house. He saw the same things God saw. His neighbors were evil. The store owners were evil. Employers were evil. Educators were corrupted. Every stranger he walked past was evil. Everything was corrupt. How society was run was through lawlessness. And yet Noah walked with God close enough to hear from God. I love Psalm 119, verses 148 to 149. It says there, I am awake through each watch of the night to meditate on your promise. In keeping with your faithful love, hear my voice, Lord. Give me life in keeping with your justice. A beautiful verse about rising early to pray to the Lord, to hear him, to speak with him. Calvary YAs, how are you doing with that? Are you a person who considers practicing spiritual disciplines just as a long list of legalistic acts, or have you found the treasure that your heart is longing for in them? This government shutdown sucks, but it is prime opportunity to work on our proximity to God. We are in prime season to take stock of what we're feeding our ears on and make sure we are feeding our ears on the word of God. Let his voice reign and rule your life. Not only does a pressure cooker culture attempt to drown out the voice of God, it intends to eliminate all implications of it, namely faith in it and obedience to it. But our proximity to God increases our faith in and obedience to God. You see, using Noah's life as an example, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11, verse 7, he writes there, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, and reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Notice the, the key parts in this short verse. Faith and obedience, which I suggest to you cannot be separated. This is the argument that James makes in his letter in James chapter 2, verses 18. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. He responds, show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. You know what faith is? Faith is the act of obedience and response to hearing God. God's warning to Noah is about something Noah has never seen before. Something that he surely did not understand. He's never seen a flood, never seen a boat, never even built a boat for that matter. I firmly believe that Noah was a, was a farmer because the first thing that he did when he got off of the ark after being on there for a year was plant a vineyard. The man was a farmer, not a carpenter. But Noah allowed his walk with God, his close proximity to God, his faith in God to overrule his natural senses and abilities as he knew it. Noah allowed the supernatural to overrule the natural. That's faith in action. Noah had faith concerning events not as yet seen. 
and his faith showed to be true through his act of obedience. Building the ark took decades for Noah, but he never wavered. He didn't see a thing for decades. He didn't see a change in the culture for decades. I bet you the pressure of the culture was pressing down on him the whole time. Pressure to denounce the existence of God. Pressure to denounce his faith. Pressure to denounce God's word and God's promise. Pressure to denounce his work on the ark. And maybe some of you have been waiting on a promise from God to be fulfilled. Waiting a week, two weeks, three weeks, and feeling the pressure already to disbelieve, distrust God, and just give in. Imagine waiting 120 years. Noah did. Imagine you're warned about an event yet unseen. Your mind can't even fathom what God is talking about. But you say, okay, God, and you just start going and getting to work. One week goes by. Two weeks go by, three weeks, three years, 30 years, and you're still building and waiting and standing firm on the promise of God. That's what walking with God looks like. While we're waiting, while we're trusting, we're also trying to reach out to the lost and bring them along with us, hoping that they can get in on this journey of faith before it's too late. You see, look at it. Noah didn't keep his plan a secret. He shared it with anyone who would listen. If you turn to Peter chapter 2, uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, it says there that, that, that Noah was a preacher of righteousness, which leads to our third point. Our proximity to God boosts our courage to preach the gospel of God. Now, I've heard of people being bivocational. Noah was tri-vocational. He was a farmer, turned carpenter, turned preacher. I bet Noah didn't even have to go anywhere to find people to preach to because they were all coming to him. The ark he was building was 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Think that didn't catch the attention of his, his neighbors? Just seriously, think of him out in the middle of the desert. His neighbor comes over. Hey, Noah, what you working on over there? An ark? A what? I don't know. It's just this thing that God told me to build. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna float to uh, float on the water. Water? You do know that there's no water around here, right? Middle of the desert? Yeah, but God said he's going to send rain that will flood the earth and destroy everything. Flood? What's that? Face palm. And so it goes. So I bet you Noah had ample opportunity to preach to those around him because of the monstrosity that he was building in the desert. And I'm sure that he looked foolish too. Well, we still sound foolish today. In fact, if you sound foolish sharing the gospel, you're in good company. The Jews thought Peter was drunk when he shared the gospel. A king thought Paul was literally insane, like check this man into a hospital right now, insane when he shared the gospel. 
People thought Jesus had a demon when he shared the gospel. If you sound foolish, you're in good company, so don't hold back. Your call is to share the gospel regardless of how we sound. And actually, sounding foolish is the expectation. The word of God says so. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the word of the cross is folly, so foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So what is stopping you from being God's witness in the midst of this pressure cooker culture? Fear? Shame? The possibility of being canceled? If only we would rise up and together with the Apostle Paul declare, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. It's important to note that Noah's family was saved because they believed what Noah was preaching and they followed. I bet you they had witnessed Noah's faith in action their whole lives. I bet you that's the kind of husband he was. I bet you that's the kind of father that he was, the kind that's not all talk. No, they saw his walk with God their whole lives. So so when he came home and and shared with them what God had spoken to him, this, this unimaginable thing that their minds couldn't comprehend, they just trusted. Because they knew their Noah and they knew his walk with God. Noah brought his family along and going against the grain of the culture and not succumbing to its pressure. Noah was a preacher of righteousness out of the home and in the home. So I'm going to speak to the men right now. Do you have this kind of battle plan to protect your wives and to protect your children? Protect them in this this destructive culture from all of its influences. Are you preaching to your wives, to your family through Bible devotions? Prayer time, worship, worship through music in your home. Are you exhibiting faithfulness to the word of God in your life? Like if you went home right now and share with your family, hey, this is what the word of God says that we need to do right now. We need to act on it and we're going to do it. No matter how crazy it sounded to, to, your, to your wife, would she follow you? Because she has witnessed your consistent walk with God. She's seen your your genuine faith and your obedience time after time and simply follows you and comes under your leadership because you're trustworthy of it. If not, what's your game plan? Don't wait until things get tougher than they are Because if we're not strong enough to stand now, we definitely won't be strong enough to stand then. And it is only going to get tougher. Lastly, number four. Our proximity to God aligns our desires to the heart of God. As we finish up tonight, we're going to look at one last character trait. And this is not from Noah, but God. 
God's heart for people really shines through in his accounts with Noah. And don't we want our hearts to be like his, like God's? So turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. There is so much we can learn about the heart of God towards us here. 1 Peter 3, 13. It says there, Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Don't fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil." For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in the past were disobedient, when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it a few, that is, eight people, were saved through water. We need to see and understand that in the days of Noah, God was striving with humanity. This word striving is, is, is God working conviction or trying to work conviction into the hearts of their, of their wickedness and evil and bring them back to himself. And God was doing this through great patience while Noah was building the ark. And God was speaking through Noah to preach the gospel message to them. He's, he's patiently, entirely patient the whole time, calling people back to himself through Noah all that time the ark was being built. So for 120 years, Noah worked on the ark, and for 120 years, God was showing his creation great patience and mercy and giving them a chance of being saved. This is what the Bible says. But the people had so hardened their hearts that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time. Total depravity. So God sent judgment, which, by the way, he as the owner of the universe and everything in it has the absolute right to do. But let us not miss God's heart in this biblical account. God is judge, yes, absolutely, because he is just. But the judge is also deliverer, yes, absolutely, because he is gracious. The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. People could have been delivered from their evil and rescued and redeemed, but then the day came. People had ignored the message all that time, 120 years, and then they were wiped off the face of the earth. And sadly, the same is happening today. 2 Peter chapter 3 says, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Just as it did to them in the days of Noah. But guess what? We too have an ark of salvation that has already been prepared. You see, the ark is an image of Christ. 
Jesus is our ark. The work that he accomplished on the cross is the vessel of our salvation. Some of the most fascinating things about God's conversation with Noah are the things that were not said. God gave Noah very detailed instructions about building the ark. Length, width, height, type of wood, type of sealant, the size of the air vents, the number of decks, and so on. God was very, very detailed in his instructions. But you know what's missing? God didn't give Noah instructions about how to steer the ark. No instructions about the steering wheel, the helm. No instructions about the rudder. Why? Because they weren't necessary. They didn't need to be built. God was in control of the ark. It was God's vessel of salvation to guide and steer and bring it to its final resting place. Oh, this ark. The beautiful image of Christ. Christ is the sole vessel of salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord alone. That's what the Bible says. And in him, in Christ, who is our ark, we are provided for, guided, and steered to our place of rest in him. We don't control our vessel of salvation. We are under his shelter and protection, protecting us from the coming judgment. And listen, church, while God is currently being patient, which he is, or else he would have come already, he is currently being patient, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We have a job to do. Paul wrote to his apprentice, Timothy, that the church is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. We need to align our desire to the heart of God. Preach the message. Be patient with people. Love people. Show them much mercy and grace and try with everything we can as the church being the pillar and truth to bring as many along with us as we can. Because if we don't stand tall and emerge out of this pressure cooker culture as the only real and true alternative to the madness in our world, then the culture has no real chance of being saved. And they'll all go down in the coming judgment. That includes our lost friends, our lost family, our lost coworkers, our lost peers at school, our lost neighbors. So walk with God and be in close proximity to him always. Our proximity to God enables us to hear from God. Our proximity to God increases our faith in and obedience to God. Our proximity to God boosts our courage to preach the gospel of God. Our proximity to God aligns our desires to the heart of God. Four truths. Our proximity to God is how we will survive our pressure cooker culture instead of being tenderized by it and conforming to it. Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. 
We thank you, God, for your great patience that you have shown us. We thank you, God, for your great salvation that you have shown us. We thank you again for another person whose life you worked through to reveal to us your character and what we can do, what you have given to us through your spirit, how we can live particularly in this context of a pressure cooker culture. You see, you look down and you see that the church is being attacked by all angles. What is being pushed in a culture is antithetical to Christianity on all levels. But I know you do not want us to give up hope. It's your desire for us to stand strong. And we do that through a close proximity with you. So help us, God. Help us to not give up. Help us to not give in. No matter what happens to us, no matter what is stripped away from us, may we stand firm in the truth because we've been built up by a close proximity to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, check out our new podcast series, Living in the 66, a conversational series as we walk through God's Word chapter by chapter and seek to discover how we can apply it to our lives. Thanks for listening to today's episode, and until next time, blessings.